Legacy Podcasts present Torque, a novel by Ty Drago, performed for you by the author, and featuring music by Nicholas Allen Nelson. The 18th Cog. For several seconds, Ainsley struggled to catch her breath. Her heart was hammering. Finally, after considerable effort, she managed to say, I know who you are. Except Torque wasn't listening. Instead, his masked face had turned towards some kind of commotion happening elsewhere in the black. The black. Getting here hadn't been easy. After waiting until her father left for his daily visit to the watch building, Ainsley had borrowed some maid's clothes from the laundry and slipped unseen out of the house. Then, taking a public carriage to the market plaza, she bluffed her way past the keepers and onto a lift using a household shopping list, signed by Lady Ainsley Pinkerton herself. Faking the signature, of course, had been easy, and fortunately Keeper Percy hadn't been on hand to recognize her. Once in the middle, Ainsley had revisited last week's dresser's shop and bribed its owner to tell her the way to the black. The dresser had done so reluctantly, insisting that even maids' clothes weren't suitable for a visit to the lowers. Then, somewhat less reluctantly, she'd sold Ainsley an itchy canvas frock. After that, she'd drawn Ainsley a map. Few upper folk ventured below the middle, and Ainsley quickly found out why. There were no stairs, only ladders leading down into a warren of dark, drab tunnels that ran amidst, and often through, countless rusted and unused gearboxes. The floor was uncomfortably warm and often jagged. She'd cut the soles of her feet so many times that she now left bloodied footprints wherever she stepped. Part of the problem was that often she couldn't see where she was going. The only illumination came from sporadically placed markings on the wall. Light runes, they were called, and no one knew who'd made them or how they worked. In school, she learned only that they were ancient, like everything else in the lowers. Along the way, she passed lower folk, plenty of them. Most ignored her, but some eyed her with curiosity. A few even questioned her, but each time Ainsley muttered a hasty apology and fled, afraid her accent would give her away. As the map led her further down, the floor grew hotter and the tunnel stank of sweat and urine. Here there were fewer ladders. Instead, Ainsley found mostly wide, angled pipes leading further down. Some had thin cables stretched along them to help manage footing. Some didn't. Once she got lost and considered asking someone for directions, but one look at a random lower woman picking meat from the carcass of a dead rat convinced her otherwise. The sight shocked and horrified her, and shamed her too. Finally, after what felt like hours, she reached the black. Its sheer poverty shocked her. Ainsley hadn't really known what to expect, perhaps a smaller, drabber version of the middle market, but instead here was stockpiled junk being traded at storefronts that seemed to have been assembled from whatever happened to be handy. Dear Jai, she thought, I still have to find my way back. Putting that worry aside for now, Ainsley navigated the filthy market. Weaving in and out amidst lower folk who seemed beyond malnourished, emaciated, pale, and sickly. These were true bowels rats. They were the uncounted multitudes, just as her father had described. They owned almost nothing and probably couldn't even find work in the factories. Even the meager coin in Ainsley's purse was more wealth than they could imagine. Fortunately, none of them seemed to notice her, until they did. Two gang members materialized out of the crowd, thin but muscled predators, their faces crudely stained. Why they'd singled her out, she had no idea, but as they closed in around her, moving like coiled springs, each one of them produced a crude knife. Ainsley screamed. That's when Torque appeared, dropping from above the same we had up in the middle. 
The rest of it happened in moments. And suddenly it was just the two of them. Well, no, that wasn't right. There were still hundreds of lower folk around. It only felt like it was just the two of them. Ainsley and the hero who'd saved her for the second time. But while she gazed at him, her heart still hammering, and tried to explain why she'd come, the rank air filled with the sounds of shouts and then whistles. Keeper whistles. For one horrible moment, she was sure her father had learned where she'd gone and had sent a small army to retrieve her. But then, as green-uniformed men reached the first stall and kicked it over, savagely beating the screaming vendor in the process, she understood. The black was unlicensed commerce, criminal activity, and this was what Gammon did to criminals. From the way he gripped his pipe, Ainsley could tell that Torque wanted to rush at the keepers, but there were so many. At least fifty armed men had invaded the knot in what was obviously a coordinated assault. They attacked each of the makeshift storefronts in turn, spreading out amidst the loosely defined aisles. Suddenly a strong arm snaked around her waist. Gasping, Ainsley turned to find warm brown eyes staring at her from behind a gilded mask. Ainsley felt her cheeks flush. Torque seemed to radiate heat. Hang on, he said. To what? she whispered. He pointed his pipe at the black's iron floor, and with a thrill that seemed to charge through Ainsley's body like a bolt of lightning, Torque launched them both upward. It was incredible. They were borne aloft by a vaporous jet, vaulting over the nearest stalls. As they did, the keeper spotted them. More whistles sounded, followed by shouts and running feet. Then, as they reached the roof of a nearby gearbox, Ainsley felt a bullet buzz past her head. They're shooting at us, Ainsley exclaimed. You think? The moment they landed on the gearbox, Torque turned and vaulted again, this time taking them both to the top of an angled steel pipe as wide around as her father's staircase. There, he shoved her down onto her stomach and pressed himself atop her, shielding her as more bullets whizzed past them. The volleys continued for nearly half a minute, bullets snapping and pinging off the underside of the pipe. Ainsley screamed, fighting a swell of panic, struggling to breathe under his much greater weight. Recognizing her fear, Torque whispered with surprising gentleness, Hold on, it's almost over. And sure enough, a moment later the pistol fire ceased. They're reloading, he said, jumping to his feet. Stay here. Wait, she exclaimed, looking up at him. There's too many, and they've got orders to shoot you on sight. No more chasing, no more arrest. If you go down there, they'll kill you. And even you don't have enough steam to knock them all down. His brown eyes looked thoughtfully at her before turning and gazing out across the black and its surrounding gearboxes. Then I guess I'll need more steam, he said. With that, he ran further along the pipe before launching himself skyward once more. Ainsley, shielded as she was from the gunfire, scrambled carefully along the curve of the pipe and peeked down. Some of the lower folk had rallied. They outnumbered the raiding keepers, but were badly outmatched, a fact made clear as more of them were slashed with swords or gunned down. So many screams. So much blood. Those who fought back were killed. Those who fled were killed anyway. The horror of it drilled into Ainsley's brain. All her life she'd heard of rousts, in which the illegal markets like this one were dispersed by courageous keepers. But there was nothing courageous about this. It was simply slaughter. And Ainsley Pinkerton found she couldn't just lie here and watch. Rising to her feet, she started searching for a way down. She had no plan, just some vague idea of announcing herself to the keepers in the hopes that her presence might give them pause. Might. Last week's near whipping flashed through her mind, but she pushed that unthoughtful help away. Watching this and doing nothing was not an option. She spotted Torque. 
The Lowers Champion had reached the far side of the black, landing atop a huge gearbox that seemed, unlike the others, to be functional. Jets of pressurized steam leaked out from the piping that ran down from the ceiling. A heat exchanger. Ainsley watched in alarm as fresh bullets danced around Torque's gleaming body. The keepers who'd followed his movements from the pipe to the gearbox roof had resumed their fire. Yet, despite the near-constant barrage, the Gilded Man kept going, dodging, ducking, but doggedly pursuing whatever idea drove him. Was this courage? Ainsley marveled. Or was Torque really bulletproof? Stuart hadn't been. Torque reached a set of flexible hoses overlooking the black, each as thick as a man's torso, that fed off the side of the heat exchanger. Once there, he leaped up and landed on the nearest of them, loosening but not dislodging it. More keepers focused their fire on the spot. The lower's champion was twenty feet above their heads, out of effective pistol range, but sooner or later one of them was bound to get lucky. And, just as a final kick at the hose's coupling snapped it free, one did. Ainsley gasped as Torque's body recoiled from the shot. I got him, a keeper bellowed. I'll make sergeant by midday. Then the hose came down, striking the floor of the black in front of them. The steam it spewed forth was easily ten times anything that Torque's small pipe could produce. It scalded a dozen men before the rest retreated. Plumes of noxious white vapor filled the open space, sending everyone running, lower folk and keepers alike. From her perch, Ainsley searched for Torque, but the rising billows had already swallowed up most of the market below her. Ainsley ran along the pipe in the direction Torque had gone. Below her, the screams had quieted, leaving behind a strange silence punctuated by the constant hiss of the exchanger's escaping steam. She reached a spot where the pipe turned suddenly upward, leaving a gap about six feet wide between the pipe's corner and the roof of the adjacent gearbox. Beyond that roof waited another, and another after that. And finally, the exchanger. All of the gearboxes looked close together and fairly navigable. But first, she needed to make this jump. Ainsley steadied herself. Six feet wasn't so far. Her father stood taller than that. But the fall, if she missed, would almost certainly kill her. She tried to steady her nerves. It didn't work. Uttering a cry that sounded more terrified than heroic, she jumped. For a split second, the empty space below her looked as deep as the drop itself. Then she hit the gearbox's lip just at her waist. With her feet dangling, Ainsley scrambled for purchase, pawing at the smooth metal. At last, her desperate fingers found a length of old cable, rusty but firmly anchored. Moaning with effort, she pulled herself up onto the roof and rolled over, her breath coming in ragged heaves as her mind reeled at what she'd just done. Then, shakily, she found her feet and ran for the exchanger. Three roofs later, she found him. Torque crouched behind one of the huge mech's many conduits. Blood was turning his golden armor red. Seeing her, he actually offered a wave. She hurried to him and scooped his good arm under her shoulder. Let's get out of here. Good idea, he gasped. I know a physician, she replied, and then immediately cursed herself for being an idiot. He laughed weakly. Not down here, you don't. Then he motioned toward a nearby well of shadows. That way, there's a drop. She helped him to a small gap formed where the heat exchanger met one corner of the black. The drop looked dark and more than a little terrifying. Ladder? she asked hopefully. He shook his head. But it goes down at an angle. We can slide. Slide? Where's it go? Away from here. That'll do for a start. And it would. You first, he said. No, Ainsley said. We jump together. Then we find you some help. I know somebody, Torque rasped. But first, you have to promise me something. What? 
You have to promise me not to let her take off my mask. The 19th cog. Rand survived the slide, barely. The shaft was easily wide enough for two people to travel along it on their backs, side by side. It ran down two levels before dumping into an empty gearbox. Every inch of it felt like sliding down the edge of a knife. But he did it. No one kenned what the slide's purpose had once been, but Rand had used it before, though on occasions less desperate than this one. Today wasn't the first time the black had been located in that particular knot. It wasn't the first time it had been raided there, either. It was, however, the first time the Keepers had come in shooting. The Keepers wanted him dead, just as Ainsley had warned him. That, at least, Rand could ken. But how did deading Torque translate into today's slaughter? Had all of this happened because of him? Getting to his feet at the bottom of the slide was agony. His shoulder felt as if a bolt had been driven through it at high speed, which, he supposed, described getting shot pretty accurately. The pain made the floor tilt and the walls close in. But once they started moving, he managed to stay standing. He had to. The upper lass was tucked under his good arm, supporting him with her slight frame. If Rand collapsed, she'd go down with him, and he owed her more than trapping her under his dead weight until stainers, or something worse, happened across them. Left, he gasped fighting to stay conscious. Torque's pipe, his pipe, was still in his hand, though it felt heavier with each step. They turned left. Now right. They turned right. One hundred steps. Two hundred. Three hundred. The tunnel was empty, not surprising given the nearby carnage. Every lower folk in earshot, be they stainers, drudges, or bowels rats, had put as much distance between themselves as the black as they could. Up ahead, he croaked. Gearbox. On the left, his vision blurred, turning black at the edges. He felt himself fall. No, the last pleaded. We're almost there. And they were. That was the terrible irony of it. With the last of his strength, Rand pushed himself clear of her before toppling over. He hit the tunnel floor hard and stayed there. He heard running footsteps. The upper lass had abandoned him, which was just as well. She'd done more than most would have, staying at his side when only he'd gotten her deaded too. What a lousy torque he'd turned out to be. It's mostly shock, a voice said. The bullet missed your major arteries. You haven't really lost all that much blood. Rand looked blearily up at No Name. The Ludling was crouched beside him. What? he gasped. It's okay, Rand. She's coming. Rand blinked, or maybe he passed out. Either way, when he opened his eyes again, No Name had gone. The tunnel stood empty, lit by a ragged line of symbols, light runes extending into the far distance. "'Where'd you go?' he asked. A voice replied, but it wasn't no names. "'I didn't go anywhere, you big idiot. You did.' Then hands were on him, rolling him over, and Rand looked blearily up into Lucy Stamper's freckled, heart-shaped face. She knelt beside him, all sorts of things warring for control of her expression. Anger, relief, terror. Behind her, the upper lass's face was easier to read. Desperate worry. He's been shot in the chest, she exclaimed. I don't think so, Lucy replied. Help me get him into the chapel. Chapel? What chapel? Lucy groaned. The gearbox where you found me. Now grab his legs. Rand was lifted clumsily, his weight more than that of both lasses put together, half dragging and half carrying him several yards along the tunnel and in through a jagged hole cut in the side of a gearbox. Pain ripped at him, blinding him and blocking out all else. 
Inside the small gearbox, a single light room glowed, casting sharp shadows across a simple altar fashioned from scraps of iron. Symbols were scratched into the wall above, four of them. Rand couldn't read them, as they were in the old tongue, not the one from his primer. But he knew what they said. Every lower person did. Root. The lasses deposited him on the floor in front of the altar. Then, to Rand's horror, Lucy reached for his mask. Desperately, he tried to push her hand away, but he lacked the strength. No, he gasped, looking pleadingly up at Ainsley. You promised. I know it's you, you moron, Lucy snapped. I've known from the start. Now, let me work. Rand collapsed, defeated. He felt Torque's mask come off, along with his breastplate. Lucy's deft fingers probed his bloodied shoulder, searching for the wound. When she found it, he cried out. Shoulder, she said with obvious relief. Not chest. I know, he muttered. No name told me. What? How bad is it? The upper lass asked. Lucy rolled Rand onto his side so that she could remove his shoulder plates and examine his back. It hurt. The bullet's still in there, she replied. We'll need to get it out. The upper lass said, He needs a physician. Is that right? Lucy asked flatly. Of course. Where's the nearest hospital? By myself, I could only manage to get him here. But between the two of us, Lucy snapped, There aren't any damned hospitals down here, pisshead. In the lowers, if you get sick, you either get better or you die. Then, in a gentler tone directed at Rand, she added, Or you find a friend who knows a thing or two. Rand inwardly sighed. Lucy had started learning healing magic when the two of them were barely no-name's age. Medicines were nearly impossible to find below the middle market, but there were other ways to address sickness and injury. Older ways. Such ways involved drawing marks on the walls with the victim's own blood, and Lucy had become a master of the craft. The law forbade it, and giants call it heresy, but neither the edict nor the goddess meant much down here. This place, Ainsley asked Lucy, it's a chapel? Lucy nodded. To root? Lucy motioned at the word above the altar. That's what it says. I can't read it. Nobody can, but that's what it says. How did he know it was here? This is where I squat whenever the black's open so that folks can come find me for healing. He knows that. I see. No, you don't. You don't see anything. You're so blind it's almost funny. Now either help me or get out. Ainsley knelt and assisted as Lucy completely removed Rand's remaining armor, laying each piece of it carefully, even reverently, aside. Then, producing a soiled rag and using warm, greasy water poured from a bottle she carried, she cleaned his wound. I've got to get the bullet out, Lucy told him gently. It'll hurt, but you need to be still. If I nick an artery, you're dead. Use some grabber juice, Rand said through gritted teeth. You sure? He nodded. Lucy produced a long, thin needle from the pocket of her dress along with a pouch made from oily cloth. What's that? Ainsley asked. Something that's really hard to get, Lucy replied as she rubbed the needle's tip in the pouch's contents. Then to Rand, she said, This'll only keep you from moving. It won't do a thing for the pain. I know, he replied. She stuck him in the arm, the jab like the bite of a grabber's tooth, which of course was the point. Paralysis began immediately, first his arm, then his chest, then his legs. Lucy kept the needle in place until Rand couldn't move much more than his eyes. Then, just to be sure, she pinched him near his wound. Other than a little groan, Rand couldn't even protest. Good, she said. Let's get started. The upper lass looked on, saying nothing. Lucy took up her shank and repeated, This'll hurt. Rand couldn't respond, of course, but he knew it. Except he didn't.
Rand was no stranger to pain. He'd grown up in the bowels, but this wasn't like his usual cuts and bruises. It wasn't even like the broken arm he'd gotten after a bad tumble down a drop. This pain was something completely different. This was fire and jagged iron and sawing and digging, and it went on and on. He couldn't move. He couldn't scream. All he could do was lay there and suffer. The torture continued forever until Rand was sure his heart would beat itself into a pulp against his ribcage. But then, finally, Lucy straightened, her fingers bloody, and announced, Got it. She tossed the gory lump of iron over her shoulder, forgotten, and then pulled out the needle. As Rand lay there, the paralysis gradually leaving his body, Lucy dipped her finger in Rand's blood and went to work. On the side of the altar, she drew careful marks. Runes, Rand supposed. More unreadable old tongue. There were six of them, each one carefully and precisely made. Rand had no idea what they meant. Neither did Lucy. She was simply repeating what she'd learned from the healing woman who'd reared her. Rand glanced at Ainsley, whose face had gone pale with wonder, her small hands wringing the folds of her dress as Lucy worked. Dipping her fingers in still more of Rand's blood, the lower last retraced the marks from start to finish. Then she did it again, and again. Rand began feeling better. The agonizing burn in his shoulder became a painful throb, then a dull ache, and finally vanished altogether. At last, Lucy sat back, looking satisfied and proud of herself. Thanks, Rand told her. She kissed him. It was the first time ever, and she did it without warning, just leaned over and cupped his face in her small, freckled hands and pushed her mouth against his. Rand was too surprised to resist. Then he stopped wanting to. Rand Roberts had never imagined anything could feel as soft as Lucy's lips. Suddenly the niche was gone, along with the upper lass and the rest of the lowers. It was as if the whole machine had suddenly shrunk down to just the two of them. Rand and the small, amazing lass kissing him. Lucy... His Lucy. Slowly, reluctantly, she pulled away. He gaped at her, his mouth tingling. The grabber paralysis was gone, and yet he still couldn't move. In fact, he could barely breathe. With tremendous effort, Rand found his tongue. That was... Shut up, Lucy snapped. I'm mad at you. What? He blinked. Why? Then she punched him in the mouth. The 20th Cog Son of a rat turd, Rand exclaimed, rubbing his chin. What was that for? You've got a jaw like a hunk of iron, Lucy exclaimed, rubbing her bruised hand. Next time you're a thoughtless pisshead, I'll slam you someplace soft. Behind her, the upper last demanded, What did you just do to him? Lucy glared at her. I punched him. What did you think I did? Before that, Lucy's face colored. What? They don't have kissing on top of the machine? Ainsley threw up her hands. No, before that. He was shot and you... But Rand yelled over her, addressing Lucy. I told you. I was trying to protect you. I thought you were dead, Lucy yelled back. There were tears in her eyes. I watched you go over the drop. I've done drops before, he told her lamely. That's dung. This wasn't some 20-foot gap. This was what, a thousand yards? More like a mile, Rand admitted. Then how in Root's name did you survive? Torque's pipe. Lucy stared at him. Then she looked at Ainsley as if expecting her to make sense of what Rand had just said. But the upper lass only stared back at her. How did you heal him? She asked again. Ignoring the question, Lucy picked up Torque's signature weapon. This pipe? Sure. She examined it in the poor light, her dark eyes squinting to make out the controls. I can't see, she complained. Rand stood up, testing his shoulder. There was nothing, not even a twinge. Lucy knew her craft. 
In fact, the only parts of him feeling strange were his lips. They still tingled from Lucy's kiss. With the lasses looking on, Rand drew a light rune on the wall. Lucy gasped. Ainsley cupped her mouth with one hand as if to stifle a scream. There, Rand said, a little smugly. Now you can see. How do you do that? Ainsley demanded. But before Rand could answer, Lucy remarked, You've had a busy week being dead. Then without warning, she pointed the pipe between Rand and the upper lass and pressed the steam button. Scalding vapor jetted out, blasting through the chapel's uneven entrance and filling the tunnel beyond. At the same time, the counterforce slid Lucy backward across the gearbox's floor until her rump struck the altar. Ow! she yelped. Yeah, it does that, Rand said. What number does it show? One, Lucy replied, standing up and rubbing her butt. That means just one blast left? Until I reload it. Reload it? With what? I've got boxes filled with hundreds of cartridges, but the pipe only holds about twenty at a time, any mix of steam and grease. Rand, this is mech. Yeah, he said. But what's that mean? I thought Torque was supposed to be magic. Ainsley cleared her throat. Any chance I could say something? They both looked at her. Rand said, sorry, thanks for your help. You're welcome. Now, I want to know what happened just now. She looked hard at Lucy. What were those symbols you drew on the wall using his blood? Healing marks, Lucy replied. A heathen ritual? The upper lass asked, sounding more mystified than offended. Root magic, Lucy corrected. This is a root chapel. I thought you kenned that. But there's no such thing as magic. She sounded like no name. Lucy groaned contemptuously. Didn't you just see it happen with your own eyes? The upper lass tried to form a reply couldn't. Rand decided to change the subject. Your name is Ainsley, right? Lucy made a sour face. Yeah, she's August Pinkerton's daughter. The upper lass glared. I can answer for myself, you know. Lucy glared right back. Oh, I'm sure you can. I imagine you two had quite a bit to say to each other on your way down here. Ainsley put her hand on her hips. What's that mean? He was shot and I was helping him. And how'd he get shot? Lucy demanded. Rand suddenly didn't like the way she was brandishing the pipe. He said, I was just... They both ignored him. He was defending the black from a keeper incursion, Ainsley exclaimed. Incursion? What kind of word is that? Lucy scoffed. I'll bet he was rescuing your ass, like in the middle market last week. Ainsley snapped. As I remember things, he saved you too. Lucy whirled on Rand. Did you save her in the black just now? Rand looked from one to the other. Apparently, he was in trouble, though he had no idea why. I was patrolling there. I'd already done a few torque things when I saw Ainsley wander into the black, as if no one would notice what she was. And what am I? The upper lass demanded. Lucy glared at her again. You're an upper lady, and you stick out like a hammered thumb. Just look at your hair. What's the matter with my hair? It's clean, you idiot, Lucy told her. When do you think was the last time I washed my hair? Oh. Ainsley muttered. Yeah, Lucy sneered. Oh. And you've got painted toenails, Rand added. Lucy looked down at the upper lass's bare feet. Are you kidding me? Ainsley stammered. I didn't even think. Rand continued cautiously. A couple of stainers went after her, so I stepped in. Then, when the keepers incurred, I guess, I flew her to safety. Lucy absorbed this. You flew her? Yeah. She held up the pipe. Just scooped her up and used this to send you both up and out of danger. More or less. All huddled together. Rand said, Lucy, what's the matter with you? 
She tried to shove him, but she only bounced off. Then Ainsley said in a quiet voice, Lucy? Lucy whirled on her, the pipe in her fist. Watch your next words, upper lady. Torque saved me, Ainsley explained. Not Rand. It was the first time she'd used his name. Rand was surprised she'd even known it. What's that mean? Lucy asked sharply. That it wasn't personal. He was just being Torque. He saved me because you're right. I was being an idiot. But when he got shot, the first person he thought of was you. Lucy absorbed this, too. Then her shoulders sagged, and she threw a sheepish look at Rand. Suddenly, Rand was angry. People died today, he exclaimed, so sharply that they both jumped. The keepers just deaded twenty lower folk at least. Mary Broom? She's dead. Gavin the Cooper? Dead. Little James? Dead. I didn't know them all, but I knew most of them. So did you, Lucy. Lucy's stamper's expression was so horror-struck that Rand felt a stab of guilt. Instantly, his anger evaporated. Ainsley started crying. There were so many of them, and the keepers just gunned them down. They didn't care who they were. It didn't even matter if the people resisted or ran. They shot them either way. Lucy paled. So, Rand said, today shouldn't be about who Torque saved. Today should be about who I didn't save. Finally, in a small voice, Lucy whispered, I'm sorry. I can, he told her. I hadn't heard. I can, he said again, adding, I shouldn't have jumped on you like that. Then, rubbing his face, he sat back down on the middle floor and looked up at them both expectantly. After a moment, swapping glances of distrustful dislike, the lasses sat too. Rand said to Ainsley, You mentioned something about warning me. She nodded. That's why I came down here. I was hoping you'd be somewhere around the middle market, but when you weren't... She sighed. It doesn't matter. You need to know that Proctor Baird and Commandant Gammon have decided to... Exert stricter control over the lowers. Stricter control, Lucy echoed. They massacred people today. Ainsley nodded miserably. Why? Rand asked, already guessing the answer. Because of you, the upper lass replied. Because of Torque. Lucy said, I don't ken. I do, Rand said. The old Torque worked for them, didn't he? Ainsley replied, His name was Stuart Crichton. I knew him. He was... She paused for a moment. We were engaged. Engaged? Lucy asked. What's engaged? Another big upper word? It means we were going to get married. Rand considered the upper lass for a few moments. Then he took the photograph old Torque had given him out of his pocket and handed it to her. Ainsley gasped. Where did you get this? Old Torque had it on him when he died, Rand replied. And he asked me to tell you he was sorry you couldn't love him, but that he was glad to have seen you one last time. Fresh tears flooded Ainsley's eyes as she stared at her own face. He's sorry? She whispered. Um, can I keep this? Sure. Thanks. He was a good man. She looked up at them and Rand supposed some sort of response was expected. After all, Ainsley had lost somebody she cared about. Upper folk probably made some sympathetic remark like, I'm sorry for your loss. But Lucy said nothing. Neither did he because in the lowers, death was everywhere, and condolences were rarer than gold. Ainsley nodded, as if realizing this for herself. I was the one who broke our engagement. And afterwards, Stuart, apparently looking for some solace, volunteered to become Torque. But the truth is that Stuart was only the latest in a long line of uppermen to play him. It was a project that my father started twenty years ago as a way to manipulate the lower folk, to control you. 
like a pressure valve, Rand said. Lucy asked, What? That's how I think of it. I found Torx flop down in the old places. There were several sets of Torx armor down there, all different sizes. There were also coins and books, a lot of them. Those are the coins you've been scattering around the lowers, Lucy said. He nodded. So? Ainsley asked. So it meant that Torque had to be an upper lord, Rand replied, and well paid to play your father's game. The upper lass lowered her eyes. It wasn't just a game. My father was trying to keep the peace. Lucy spat on the floor. Tell that to the people who just got deaded in the black. That wasn't him. That was Gammon. He and Baird want to take control of the lowers by force. My father's been fighting them as best he can. Rand was seized by a sudden dread. Wait a second. Lucy, where are the twins? The same place they'd been all week, up in the middle of market getting free sweetmeats from that traitor you greased. Rand released the breath he'd been holding. Good. I was suddenly afraid they might have been in the black just now and I didn't see them. If they had been, do you think I'd be here? Of course not. Um, do they know I'm Torque? Lucy shook her head. You'd abandoned us. How could I tell them that? It wasn't like that, Rand replied hotly. After he got shot, well, I had to do something. I didn't plan any of this. Of course not. You never plan. Rand Roberts is a lot of action, of the moment. When everybody else runs away from trouble, you run toward it. You've always been like that. And that day it got you deaded. At least, that was what I thought until you turned up in the middle of market dressed in that armor. Rand tentatively took her hand. I'm really sorry, Lucy. She softened. I forgive you. But now you need to ken this. If you want to keep being torque, then things are going to have to change. You've got to let me in. You've got to let me help. I don't want you to get hurt. And I don't want you to get hurt either, she replied. But that's not going to stop you, is it? Rand didn't have an answer to that. Ainsley said, That's all well and good, but there's more you need to know. The Keeper raid today was only the beginning. There's more coming, maybe worse. I heard my father meeting with the Proctor and the Commandant about something called Project Vindicator. Project what? Rand asked. Vindicator. What's that? Lucy asked. It's a part of Jaiism. Oh, but you two don't worship Jai, do you? I don't worship anybody, Rand replied. Look at where you are, said Lucy. Nobody below the middle worships your sky goddess. What's she ever done for the lower folk? Root looks after us. Root lets me heal the sick and injured. All Jai ever did was decree that we needed to work and die while the upper folk played. Ainsley looked taken aback, but she recovered fast. According to Jaya's teachings, Vindicators are Jai's sacred guardians. They're said, she looked uncomfortably at them both, to have battled Torque back in the machine's early days. Great, Lucy remarked dryly. Rand asked, but what is a Vindicator? No idea, Ainsley admitted, but I think Gammon's going to use Project Vindicator to subjugate the Lowers. With the Torque project finished, he's pushing his own plans. And today was part of that, Lucy demanded. Yes, but Project Vindicator, whatever it is, isn't just a plan for more Keeper raids. Gammon invited my father to see it. That makes me think it's something more than an idea, something real and solid. And it's being hidden in the keep. Can't you get in and find out about it? Rand asked. You're an upper lady. It's not like that, she replied. You need very special permission to get into Gammon's headquarters. My father's seen whatever it is, but he won't talk about it. He won't even let the project's name be mentioned in our house. He's that scared. So why tell us? Lucy asked her. What do you expect Rand and me to do about it? I don't know, Ainsley admitted. 
but finding out what Project Vindicator is would help the lower folk prepare. Her eyes found Rand's. Wouldn't it? Rand considered. I don't know about the lower folk, but it would help me prepare. Then come back with me, Ainsley said. That's the uppers, Lucy protested. Rand can't go there. No, Ainsley replied. But maybe Torque can. Ainsley finds out that even the best plans go awry in Episode 8 of Torque by Ty Drago. If you can't bear the weight, the full novel is available in paperback and ebook formats on Amazon.com. Thanks for listening.